Good morning, church family. Or it's wonderful to be back in the pulpit today and to see all of your smiling faces from up here this morning. And before we begin today, I just wanted to take a moment to thank my brother Josh Van for his sermon last Sunday from Colossians chapter 1. As I found myself being encouraged and convicted and oh so thankful for it all of last week. So thank you, Josh, for your faithfulness and for your boldness in sharing the word of God with us all last Sunday. Now as for our sermon today, today we will be back in the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically this morning at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, or when Peter and John were before the council and remained faithful to the Lord even in the face of opposition. And in light of that, for I read a story this week, church, from David Burgess about the Battle of Lookout Mountain in 1863, when Union troops cleared the heights of the mountain with an irresistible dash, and when General Grant sent to General Woods a message and asked him, did you order that charge? General Woods, he replied back with, no, sir, I did not. And to General Hooker? And to General Sheridan, the same question was asked, to which each one of them also gave the same response as well. Since the men had been filled with such enthusiasm that nothing could have stopped them, and they just leaped into the fray, defiled all danger and death, and when the victory was won, they were filled with glad wonder because of it. And so it is with Christians for when their hearts are filled with faith, for they will be active in good works. Which even in the face of opposition is exactly what we see from the apostles Peter and John in our text today. However, before we get to that, for let me set the scene for you all this morning, church, of Peter and John before the council. Since prior to that, as we saw back in Acts chapter 3, that as Peter and John were merely going to the temple to pray, that they came into contact with a lame man, or a man who had been unable to walk for over 40 years, who then asked Peter and John for alms or for money. To which the apostle Peter then said back to him in verses 6 and 7, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And this one slain man then, for he entered the temple. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they, verse 10, recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him which the Apostle Peter then addressed the people, verse 11, who ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And in essence, as Pastor Ricardo touched on three weeks ago, initially exalted the name of Jesus Christ by making clear to the crowd here that it was this Jesus who made this man strong and who healed him, only to then call this same crowd, as we see in verses 19 and 20, to repent and to turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence 
of the Lord. And yet, as previously mentioned, for the story of Peter and John here in the temple, for it does not end there, but instead, as we will see today, Peter and John will display a wonderful example for us all of something that we as Christians all must be willing to do, especially at this time and in this age. That something being, as we see in our thesis statement this morning, is this. When the commands of man oppose the commands of God, we must obey God rather than man. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. When the commands of man oppose the commands of God, we must obey God rather than man. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, fear not, because there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you with your name on it that you can have and keep and open up at this time as well to page 911 and join us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 4 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 22. Where Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when, they, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you all. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, 
let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that even on this rainy Lord's Day, that it is a day that you have made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you for the good news this morning from Pastor Ricardo. Lord, we thank you for all the gifts of the individuals on stage this morning to be able to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and to lead the congregation well in that context. Father, we thank you for the prayers that have been offered, and we pray that they were glorifying to you as well. And Father, we pray for the dear ones who are part of this church body, but who are not here today, fighting colds and sickness and illness, and who are not in health. Father, we pray for healing for each one of them as well. But Father, at this time, above all else, I pray that you be glorified through the preaching of your word. Help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning. Father, I pray for your grace to give these dear people what they need, your word. Not the word of man, not the commands of man, but the very word of God. And I pray that it be edifying to them and that it build them up in the faith this morning. Lord, I pray that you open their ears, their eyes, and soften their hearts to the message that your word has for them this morning. Again, Father, I pray for your help. I pray that you be glorified. And I pray that your people this morning be edified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. Only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will receive salvation. Only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will receive salvation. Verses 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you all. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So as we open here, we see that after the lame man was healed, And that after the apostle Peter said to the crowd in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that as they, they seemingly referring here to both Peter and John, were speaking to the people or speaking to the crowd, that verse 1, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, came upon them. The priests here being those who were in charge of or who conducted the temple services. The captain of the temple here being the chief of the temple guard or the chief of the temple police. And the Sadducees here being in essence a powerful sect of Jews who had a lot of influence within the Sanhedrin or within the Jewish high court who also, mind you, church, did not believe in angels or spirits or demons or in the resurrection from the dead. And this group of individuals, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, for they show up here, not in order to welcome Peter and John, nor in order to kindly embrace Peter and John, but instead the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, for they came upon Peter and John, verse 2, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And it's not hard to see why these Jewish officials were also greatly annoyed with Peter and John teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Since not only did these Jewish officials not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but also because the Sadducees here is previously mentioned, for they didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. Therefore, you can be sure then, church, that the Sadducees, that they didn't want the apostles of Jesus Christ, as one translation puts it, teaching the people in the temple grounds, mind you, that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. And thus, verse 3, they then arrested Peter and John and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And yet, despite Peter and John being arrested, and put into custody or into prison here, for many of those who heard the word preached from the apostle Peter, for they, verse 4, believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000, in that the church, which previously, as we saw back in Acts chapter 2, was at about 3,000 people in size, is now seemingly at about 5,000 men in size. And who knows about how many women and children have become part of the church at this time as well. As more and more and more people keep coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word or the message 
about Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the next day, after being arrested and put into prison, as we see then in verses 5 and 6, that the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. In essence, the rulers and the elders and the scribes here, being members of the Sanhedrin or members of the Jewish high court, who gathered together with Annas, who was the former high priest, but who still retained his honorary title, Caiaphas, who was the current high priest at this time, and with John and Alexander, and verse 6, all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, these members of the Sanhedrin, set Peter and John in their midst, they inquired or asked them, verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Obviously inquiring here about the healing of the lame man back in Acts chapter 3. To which the apostle Peter then, the same man who previously denied Jesus Christ, not one time, not two times, but instead that of three times, for he then didn't deny Jesus Christ here, or reject Jesus Christ here, or renounce, dismiss, refute, or turn his back on Jesus Christ here, but instead the apostle Peter, as we see in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, which may cause you to wonder here, church, as Tony Marita writes, for wasn't the Apostle Peter already filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2? And the answer to that question is, yes, yes, he was. And thus does Luke's comment then regarding Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit call into question the permanence of the Spirit's indwelling in a Christian's life? And the answer to that question is no. No, it does not. Since what Luke is getting at here is that the indwelling Holy Spirit freshly empowered Peter here, which then enabled him to preach boldly, which is a wonderful reality for believers, that God is with us forever, and that God will often supernaturally fill us with his Spirit in order to enable us to do his will. And thus the apostle Peter, then filled with the Holy Spirit, and standing before the Jewish high court, in essence, the same court, mind you, church, who, as we all saw back in Mark chapter 14, condemned Jesus Christ as deserving death. For he, the apostle Peter, then says to them here in verses 8 through 10, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. In essence, making clear here that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth the same Jesus who you, the Sanhedrin, killed, and the same Jesus who God raised up from the dead, that it was by the name of this Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this crippled man was healed. This Jesus, is the, as Peter goes on to say in verse 11, who is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
the Apostle Peter referencing here, that of Psalm chapter 118, verse 22, which reads, the, stones that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In essence, to make the point, as scholar Stanley Porter puts it, that although Jesus was a stone rejected by the Jewish leaders, that God made him, Jesus, the cornerstone of the church. And thus, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that the apostle Peter, for he doesn't just make clear to the Jewish leaders here that the stone that they have rejected, Jesus Christ, has become the chief cornerstone, but he, the apostle Peter, also then goes on to say to them that there is salvation in no one else, or as another translation puts it, that only Jesus has the power to save. And what boldness from the Apostle Peter here, and confidence from the Apostle Peter here, and courage, and guts, and bravery, and fearlessness from the Apostle Peter here to not be wishy-washy about Jesus Christ here, or to be fearful about telling the truth about Jesus Christ here, but to instead just clearly and concisely and forthrightly say to the Jewish leaders here, in essence, that this same man who you rejected Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in him and in no one else, and that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, which is a fact that we must bind to our minds this morning, church, because salvation, for it is not found in Pope Francis' church, nor is it found in the Dalai Lama church, nor is it found in Buddha Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Confucius, nor in any other prominent figure out there today, church, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not just one of many ways to be saved, nor just one of many people who can save, but instead our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through him, John 14, 3. Therefore, let the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, or the fact that salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, be bound to your mind, be a balm to your soul, and be a truth that you are never willing to compromise on, no matter what this pluralistic and inclusive society may try to say, since we can only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Which brings us to point number two. We must always seek to obey and to please God above all else. We must always seek to obey and to please God above all else. Verses 13 through 22. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
but in order that they may spread no but in order that it may spread no further among the people let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So as we see in verse 13, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And that when these members of the Jewish high court realized here that Peter and John were not scholars, nor academics, nor intellectuals, nor greatly trained or educated men, but instead were just merely common, uneducated fishermen who were able to speak with such boldness here, for they were astonished. And verse 13, they recognized that they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. In essence, that they had known Jesus, been taught by Jesus, and obviously then had learned a lot from Jesus. And thus verse 14, in seeing the man who had been healed standing beside them here, for they, the religious leaders then, had nothing to say in opposition. So much so, when they commanded Peter and John to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, as we see in verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Therefore, in order, verse 17, that it may spread no further among the people, or that the message of Jesus Christ may spread no further among the people. For the Sanhedrin then decided, as we go on to see in verse 17, to warn Peter and John to speak no more to anyone in this name. And thus the Sanhedrin then, verse 18, charged them, or commanded them, Peter and John, to not speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. To which Peter and John then answered back to them, not by saying, you know, no problem, guys, and sorry to offend you guys, for we promise that we will not speak about Jesus Christ again. Nor by saying to them, you know, you got it, guys, and that's, that's our bad, guys, for we promise that we will not teach in the name of Jesus Christ again. But instead, Peter and John... For they responded back to the religious leader's charge or command to never again speak or to teach in the name of Jesus Christ by saying to them in verses 19 and 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? For we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. To which, as Tony Merida again writes, that although Christians are called to obey rulers and authorities on the earth, for they are also not to do so in ways that contradict God's word or violate their own consciences. 
Therefore, if you are faced with an absolute decision in which you must either obey God or the authorities, for you can be certain that obeying God is the right choice. Now, doing so may be risky, but disobeying God's explicit word is never an option. Therefore, like Peter and John, for we must have the primary aim of pleasing our God. To which the members of the council then, after being told by Peter and John that they cannot but speak about everything that they have seen and heard, in essence, about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for they then, as we see in verse 21, further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Nevertheless, as we wrap up point number two this morning, church, for I'd like to do so by encouraging you all at this time, that when the commands of man oppose the very commands of God, to always, always, always be willing to obey the commands of God rather than the commands of man. Kent Hughes Church, for he shared this story about a man by the name of Peter Cartwright, who was a circuit-riding preacher from Illinois, and who was also an uncompromising man, who had come north to Illinois from Tennessee because of his position against slavery, Nevertheless, one Sunday morning when he was scheduled to preach, one of the leaders in his church told him that President Andrew Jackson was in the congregation on that Sunday. And knowing that Cartwright said whatever he believed God wanted him to say, regardless of how people felt about it, for the leadership then didn't want him to say anything that could possibly offend the seventh president of the United States. So when Cartwright stood up to preach, he said, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here today, and I have been requested to be guarded with my remarks. Therefore, President Andrew Jackson, you will go to hell if you do not repent of your sins. And the audience, for they were all shocked, and they wondered how the President of the United States would respond to this. But after the service, President Andrew Jackson said to Cartwright, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. And this too is how the early church responded to opposition, with beautiful integrity. And thus lovingly, let me encourage you this morning, church family, that even if this world says, or your friend says, or the government says, or the President of the United States says that homosexuality, for example, that it is a moral good, or that abortion, for example, is not murder, or that transgenderism, for example, should be accepted, or that any other sin, for that matter, should be welcomed, endorsed, approved, and celebrated. 
that in any and all of those situations, Christian, for you are to fear God, to honor God, to submit to the will of God, and to always, always, always seek to obey the commands of God, even if that means civil disobedience and rejecting the ways of man. Since when the will of man is counter to, in conflict with, or opposing the very will of God, for we must always seek to obey God, Christian, rather than that of man. Now, as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to follow the lead of the apostles here, and to share with you at this time the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can save, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God, and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins by initially living for them, non-Christian, the sinless life that they as sinners could never, ever live by perfectly and obediently and completely keeping the law of God for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished for the children of God while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then paid the price for their sins as well by taking their sins upon himself and by dying in their place and as their very substitute on a cross at Calvary as the propitiation or as the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for their very sins which not only satisfied the justice of our holy God, but also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, Jesus Christ then, although he did indeed die and was buried and paid the price for the sins of many, for three days later, then this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, as the only one who paid the price for your sins, who died for your sins and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of verse 13 which reads, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And I'd like to close this morning in light of verse 13, because I frequently have conversations with individuals 
who will share with me their passion and their desire and their longing to serve the Lord and to be used by the Lord and to faithfully minister to others in the name of the Lord, but who just don't feel educated enough or smart enough or gifted enough to be able to do so. And yet, as we see in the text today, to summarize Jonathan Reed in here, that although Peter and John were unlearned and didn't attend the right school, for they were tradesmen, John Bunyan, the great 17th century writer and preacher, for he was in the same category as well, and yet he was used wonderfully by God. Now, degrees in education are important, but the most important qualifications are to be taught by Christ through his word and to be called by God. For the critics of the apostles, for they stated that these men had been with Jesus. And thus may it be said of all who call themselves believers that they too have been with Jesus. And thus I just want to encourage you all here today, church family, that if there are areas in this church or ministries that you believe God is calling you to, or directing you to, or guiding you to. For do not let the fact that you don't have a bachelor's degree in Bible, or a seminary-level education, or a master's of divinity, or a doctorate in theology, or some other diploma that you think you need keep you from serving the Lord and doing the work of the Lord in the ministries that the Lord is leading you to. Because if the Lord, for example, can take John Bunyan, a tinker, a metal worker, and Peter and John, two fishermen, and use all of them to bring glory to his most holy name, then rest assured, for he can use you too, Christian, to bring glory to his most holy name as well. And maybe that's by teaching in the children's ministry or leading a Bible study. Or maybe that's by overseeing a life group or becoming part of the worship team. Or maybe that's by visiting shut-ins or becoming a prayer warrior. Or maybe even that's by becoming an elder, a deacon, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, or who knows what else, since our God can use anyone he sees fit to bring glory to his most holy name, whether you have a seminary degree or not. Therefore, rest in the fact, Christian. That your God, that he uses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, and that he can use you exactly as he sees fit, no matter your degrees, your diplomas, your education, or your certificates, and to then just be faithful, Christian, to serve in the ways that the Lord has called you and directed you to serve in, since the grace of your God will be sufficient for you wherever he may ultimately call you or direct you to serve. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, that we ground ourselves initially this morning in the fact that we can only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, and that we bind this truth to our minds, and that we never fall away from it or compromise on it. Furthermore, it is also my prayer this morning that we as a church body, that we seek to please and to obey you, Father, above all else. For let us be willing, Lord, quite simply, to be living sacrifices to you and only you, and to not get caught up into worrying about what danger we may face because of our faithfulness 
or what people might think of us because of our lack of education, but to instead just be willing, Father, to go wherever you want us to go, to do whatever you want us to do, and to faithfully serve you, Lord, in any role you want us to serve in, since your grace, Father, will always be sufficient for us, also that we can remain faithful to you, to serve you, and to bring glory, Father, to your most holy name as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, build our spirits this morning, I pray. If there is an individual here that feels like they don't have the education needed to go where you may be leading them this morning, Father, let them be encouraged this morning by Bunyan. Let them be encouraged this morning by Peter and John. But above all else, let them be encouraged this morning by your word. To walk by faith, not according to their credentials. To trust in you and not in their diplomas. And to seek to serve you, Father, above all else. Strengthen the hearts of those individuals here this morning. For we need them as part of the body that is this church, Faith Bible Fellowship Church. Father, I pray that we be faithful in the midst of a world that is backwards, that has rejected your word, that has rejected your commands. Father, we know what sin is because of your word, because you have written the law on our hearts. Thus, let us hold steadfast to the truth that we know that is right and good and perfect in your word. One of those truths being that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in your Son, Jesus Christ alone. We have a wonderful gospel, and let us cling to that, that we are saved by Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, and that there is no other man under heaven that we can be saved by other than the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. For there is one God, and there is only one mediator between God and man. And as your word said, it is the man, Christ Jesus. Let us cling to him and to him alone for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.